He said, I was caught up into the third heaven. First of all, I just want to explain from a biblical perspective that when you read through the Bible, the Bible talks about three heavens. As you read through scripture, the first heaven is where birds, airplanes, that is considered the first heaven, the atmosphere that we breathe and live in. The second heaven is that of where the sun, the moon, the stars, where uh, satellites might orbit the cosmos, the second heaven. And the third heaven refers to the throne room of God. The third heaven is where God dwells. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. I'm going to go ahead and read just the very first verse of our scripture today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to be looking at a message entitled Visions and Revelation. I'm going to ask God to bless our gifts and offerings. Of course, if you're here, the agape box is in the back. But also for the Lord to bless the teaching of our word today. So the word of God tells us, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So, Father, we pray that you would be with us, Lord, for the giving that has allowed us to be a church, to remain a church. And we thank you, Lord, how you have blessed. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless the gifts, the offerings that are given to this church and the ministry ministries of this church, like our radio ministry, WLGS. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in the administration of these gifts, that they would be used for your glory and for your kingdom's work. And Father, I pray that you would be with us now as we look into this chapter in 2 Corinthians. Lord, Paul is just sharing a bit of his heart to a people who had really turned against him. And it was heartbreaking for him to even, I'm sure, write these words. But Lord, you've not only given them to the church in Corinth, but you've given them to us today that we might learn from them as well. And so, Father, we pray that you would teach through your spirit. Teach us this day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul continues his defense 
of his ministry and the ministry that the Lord had given him as a missionary, as an apostle, as an evangelist, as a teacher. Paul had several roles that he had filled as a tent maker. He transitions from telling about his personal sufferings of ministry to write about the visions and revelations that the Lord had given to him. And so today we're going to look at a message that I entitled Visions and Revelations from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to see in verses 1 through 6 a vision of paradise. Verses 7 through 10, a revelation of Jesus's grace. Verses 11 through 13, signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. And verses 14 through 21, to spend and be spent. And so we've already read verse 1 there of our first point, a vision of paradise. And Paul, he, in verse 1, he's basically saying, I see no profit in boasting, but he's in that place where he is going to do a little boasting. But he's saying, for me, it's not profitable. But here I am, I'm coming to visions and revelations. His opponents, the perhaps Judaizers or the Gnostic teachers who had come to Corinth, they came with their letters of recommendation, letters that they actually had written for themselves. So they had written for one another that they were each great guys and that people should pay attention to them. And Paul says, here, I'm going to give you something. I have from the Lord been given visions and revelations. And so Paul understood that the purpose of his missionary work, it really was twofold to first preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people might be saved. And even with, I believe, the thousands who came to faith underneath the preaching ministry of the Apostle Paul, he, he didn't even rank baptism as one of those main ministries that he had had. For John the Baptist, baptism was part of his ministry, so much so that they called him John the baptizer. John the baptizer, that's what he did. He baptized people. But when it came to Paul and his ministry, what he did was preach Christ and him crucified. He would even write to the Corinthians in his first letter. He said, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides that, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 14 through 17, not with words of wisdom of man. He Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Lord had called him to do. Number one, preach the gospel. His primary focus was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that people might be saved. His secondary purpose was to edify the body of Christ, to grow the church in understanding the salvation that they had obtained. Number two, what the Lord had appointed for Paul in the work of ministry there in the missionary field was to bring about the edification of those who were saved. Preach the gospel that people might be saved, then grow them 
in their faith. And it was only because his authority had been challenged by the Judaizers, perhaps the Gnostic teachers who had come into Corinth, that he began to actually lay out a little of his pedigree of ministry, that, that which he had done. And we looked at some of that in chapter 11, the things that he had suffered, the things that he had endured as an apostle of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned last week, I believe that when Paul said that he bore the scars of ministry, when you read the list of the things that he had went through, he bore real scars on his physical body. Not to talk about the perhaps uh, emotional scars that he struggled with like we all do. Physically, he bore the scars of the ministry as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to these cities that the Lord sent him to. So he moves on about the physical now to the spiritual realm. But in verses two through four, he won't even use his name in this passage. He begins, though talking about himself, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Now he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So the man, Paul referring to himself, not using his name in this passage, refers to a time when he was caught up into the third heaven. And he said, quite honestly, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. Another way of saying that, I don't know if I was dead or if I was actually alive and having a vision, I'm not sure. God knows, and it, it appears that Paul was content with that. God knows. All I know is what I'm about to explain to you. Whether being dead or alive, we do know in the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 19, that there was a time when Paul was stoned in Lystra and drug out of the city, thinking, supposing that he was dead, and the Bible tells us that the believers came outside of the city and they surrounded him. And then he got up and went back into the city. And so we can only kind of fill in the blanks there that Paul got stoned, possibly killed. He was drug outside of the city. The believers gathered around him, prayed for him. God resurrected him back to life. He came back into the city. Some had theorized that he actually died at that point. God caught him up into the third heaven to show him these visions and revelations that he is speaking about now. We cannot be sure about the circumstance that brought about these things. In fact, Paul says, I don't know, but God knows. So I think that should be a comfort for us. We can't know, but God knows. But here's what he wanted to share. He said, I was caught up into the third heaven. First of all, I just want to explain from a biblical perspective that when you read through the Bible, the Bible talks about three heavens. As you read through scripture, the first heaven is where birds, airplanes, kites, spring will be coming one of these days, and there might be some kites being flown once again. 
That is considered the first heaven, the atmosphere that we breathe and live in here on this earth. The second heaven is that of where the sun, the moon, the stars, where uh, satellites might orbit the cosmos, the second heaven. And the third heaven refers to the throne room of God. The third heaven is where God dwells. Paul described it here as paradise. He said, I was caught up. It's the Greek word harpazo. Uh, it's the same word that Paul used when writing to the saints in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, when he talked about the rapture of the church, when he says in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, when we who are alive and re remain shall be caught up, harpazo, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. To be caught up. Harpazo, a Greek word that means to be snatched, literally snatched away by force. Paul talks about being in paradise in the third heaven. He said there, while I was there, I heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, there are a couple of possibilities of the meaning of not lawful for me to utter. It could simply mean this, that there are no words on earth to describe the things that I've seen in heaven. The human language has not been invented that could adequately describe what I had seen there in the throne room of God. It's just not there. As 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul would say, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That we cannot imagine the things that God has prepared for us in paradise. It's an impossibility for me to share what I've seen. The other possibility is also that God would not allow him to share it. We know that this happened with Daniel. At the end of the book of Daniel, he was told, Daniel was told to seal it up. The prophecy is not for this time. So seal up the words, Daniel. So Paul here, writing in the third person, he refused to outright say what he had seen. And if Paul was going to boast about these things, he said, I would rather boast about my infirmities, my weaknesses, as he did at the close of 2 Corinthians 11, verses 30 through 33, when he talked about being lowered out of the wall of Damascus in that basket. He saw that as a weakness, and that's what he would rather boast about. He saw that it would be foolish to have that air of pride. The Lord has given me visions and revelations. And we could be prideful about that. And there have been those who have been prideful about that. I've been around for a little while here as your pastor at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, and I have learned a lot of lessons through the years. And one of the things that when, as a pastor being called into question or conflict when it arises, it's better for me to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ, to defend the word, than to try to justify or defend myself. And that sometimes can become very fleshly, so it can become dangerous 
Jesus said in Matthew 5.35, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So we need to be careful about some of the things we might say before others because there is that issue of pride. Paul is kind of trying to find that balance to where he's not being prideful as he shares this information that the Lord has actually caught him up into the third heaven. He had seen visions and revelations. Paul realized that he is here on shaky territory. So rather than appearing a fool, he chooses to refrain from boasting and determined to speak the truth. Ephesians 4 verses 14 and 15 tells us, and this is for all of us in the church, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceit and plotting, but speaking truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, the Christ. That we would no longer be tossed to and fro, being carried away by every wind of doctrine. I feel like that that is describing not only the church today, describing the United States today, that we have winds of doctrine that are blowing in our society today, blowing within our church today. And we have people kind of, uh, the wind's going this way, so everybody kind of runs that way, and then the wind dies out, and there's a new wind blowing over here, and they run over here, and all you're doing is kind of running back and forth. You're not really learning anything. It feels like it's describing our country. They're playing that one-string bass still continually. They're playing, they're thumping the string. And here's the thing. This is something I heard from, I don't even know where I heard it, but it's been recent, and I'm always studying, always learning, but... Um, there is a, a string that's being played today in our society. It's called critical race theory. And they're playing uh, critical race theory, critical race. They're playing, this is their string. They're saying it in different ways, using different terminology. It's all coming back to that one string. That's what they're playing. Now, I've studied uh, in fall two books about critical race theory. And at the time, I could see a little of it taking shape in our society, sure, but now I realize that I need to really look at this one string that's being plucked in our society today and learn as much as I can about it. One person had said not too long ago, just take 20 minutes a day and learn something. 20 minutes a day, learn something. Now, I'm studying the word. I take more than 20 minutes when I study to prepare for message. You should be thankful that I do. But... How about 20 minutes to learn critical race theory? Not that I want to be involved in that, but to be able to counter it, to know what they're playing, just to get in to learn what the enemy is trying to throw at us, that I would be able to counter it. But at least study their side of it, that you'll know how to give an answer for the defense that you might have. See, I think all we have sometimes, and you've seen this, our world has emotion. And so what they'll do with their emotion is that you'll see a lot of this. It reminds you of somebody in my age. Warning, warning, a lot of uh, robot going like this. That's all they have. They have emotion and their hands are moving, but they have no argument. And so it's really not hard to give an argument, to give it a defense. And so 
Don't be carried to and fro by every wind of doctrine. In fact, as Christians, maybe we should look into what is really being taught out there today, learn about it, that we'll be able to rightly counter it. Take 20 minutes a day, learn something. Today, we live in a world where truth is being questioned. It's actually being uh, distorted. And yet we've been called to speak the truth and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to do so in love in order that we might help people believe in God and receive Jesus Christ as their savior, that they might grow in their faith. Galatians 6.14, Paul said, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have a focus. We need to have a focus in the cross of Christ. If we're going to boast, let it be in the cross of Christ. But he talks about a revelation of grace that he received from the Lord in verses 7 through 10. Picking up and in verse 7, he says, unless... I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I become exalted above measure. Paul had been given. He understood God had shown him great things, great visions, great revelations. And he said it in plural, like there's been a number of these things. And if he were a prideful man, he could have attempted to exalt himself. We've seen men and women in ministry do just this very same thing to exalt themselves above others. And yet he said, the Lord actually gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to kind of keep me humble. Paul didn't want the thorn in the flesh. He didn't like the thorn in the flesh. But it was given to him to buffet mean it means to strike with a fist. Now, I don't believe that God caused Satan to come against Paul, but God used the attacks of Satan against Paul's life in order that Paul would learn a very important truth. Paul wrote when he wrote to the church of Galatia, in Galatians 4, verses 13 through 15, he said, You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in the flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. We do not know what the thorn in the flesh was. Some believe, and some Bible teachers had tried to kind of figure it out that maybe he had an eye infection. Uh, there's one epistle where he said, I, Paul, writing in my own hands with large letters. He couldn't see. Maybe he had cataracts. I don't, you know, all we can do is say maybe this, maybe that. We can't know for sure. But according to here in Galatians 4, verses 13 through 15, whatever it was, it was visible. The people saw it and they did not despise or reject Paul but actually received him as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus would have been received. So it was a visible thorn, but we don't know what that thorn, it wasn't shared with us in scripture. I believe that God knows how to humble his ministers to keep the glory for himself. William MacDonald wrote concerning this saying, successful service for Christ depends 
on a weak servant. The weaker he is, the more the power of Christ accompanies his preaching. Successful service for Christ depends upon a weak servant. The weaker he is, the more power of Christ accompanies his teaching. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. So give us the courage to be willing to go. I pray for those, Lord, who perhaps do not yet know you as Savior, but they've come to that place that they believe that God is. Now, Lord, you are calling them to receive your Son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior. If that individual is here in our church, worshiping with us here today, perhaps listening on the radio, watching through our Facebook feed, whatever the case might be, Lord, I pray that you, you through your Holy Spirit, would compel them to receive Christ, that they might grow and go. It is our heart's desire, Lord, that we might spend and be spent for the gospel. Lord, let us be challenged by your words this day, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen, Amen indeed. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Hey.